Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, a cloudy forecast for your money. It's raining market cap losses for software stocks as the pandemic splurge keeps giving way to the slowdown cycle purge. What will it take to stop the slide? Plus, Corona crushed. Shares of beer, wine, and spirits maker Constellation falling down drunk today. Wow. The details on how wow. inflation and the supply chain <laughs> impacted its beer brands. And then later, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our traders look back at their action in 2022, the hits, the misses, and the ones that got away. I'm Sarah Eisen. In tonight for Melissa Lee, this is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site. A full house tonight. We've got Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we are going to start with the pre-job sell-off on Wall Street. Markets fearing a strong read on the labor market could prompt the Fed to hold fast to its rate hike program. The Dow shedding another 340 points. NASDAQ down a percent and a half in the first three trading days of the year. And the growthiest stocks were some of the hardest hit. Take a look. Names like Sentinel One, CrowdStrike, Datadog posting outsized losses as yields take a leg higher. And today's losses just add to the pain that these names have felt over the past year. Sentinel One closing just a hair off its all-time low. Datadog, CrowdStrike, both at multi-year lows. So is there any hope left for these names or... Should you be running for the exits, Dan? Oh, wow. Um, I, I, listen, I think it's really hard to run for the exits right now after the year and a half that a lot of these stocks have had and the corrections that they've had, at least as far as sentiment's concerned around the valuations, but also the growth opportunities, right? And so when you talk about the pull forward that we saw in a lot of those business models in 2020 and 2021, as soon as the Fed started to tell us that they were going to raise interest rates, those stocks got absolutely creamed, right? And they're going to continue to make lower lows, I think, until investors have some sense that the rate cycle has peaked, right? And so to me, I think it's really tough to chase some of these names that might have great secular stories, but the valuations don't line up with where future growth expectations are in this rate environment and what might be a global recession too in 2023. And you, you know, you brought up something that you kind of, I don't think you were necessarily going straight to this, but the point is if you've got a stock that's down 60 or 70 percent, um, you know, a lot of people say I want to hang around so I can just get a little bit back when in fact uh, the environment we have over the last couple of days is that Fed fund futures terminal rate has been not only creeping up, but creeping out. So it's been moving out. It's now out to July. It was, it was in April, May, uh, and it's now right 502, 503. Rates are going higher. If you did an overlay of that 10-year and you looked at what high multiple tech stocks, where you are basically implicitly saying, I'm betting long term, I'm betting on high growth and long duration, when in fact that's not what the 10-year, when it's moving higher, lets you do. So if you think rates are going higher, um, maybe you should be getting out of some of those stocks that have had a, a bad you know, year, year and a half, even though they're down 70 percent. If they're going down tomorrow, get out of them today. Karen, I stole your line. But, Something it, like that. but, but <laughs> isn't the outlook rates are maybe going up still, but they are set to pause later this year. So if that happens, do you want to be in some of these growthy parts of the market? I guess if they start to pause, if they pause. But I, I think that's a bit of a ways off. I mean, you heard uh, Esther George this morning, right? She was basically saying higher for longer 
right? She's retiring. Jim Bullard this, this afternoon, mm -hmm. though, said disinflationary year. But well, then I guess you have Kashkari on the other side. I feel like the, the you know, the Fed has tried to tell you again and again, we're we got to beat inflation. We have to do it. And so I don't see that as a short term. I mean, that's a difficult thing to do. So I think we're, we're higher for longer. And so just as exactly as Tim was saying, if your underpinning is a lower interest rate, so you get it, you know, you, you discount those future earnings that even if they do come will be worth less. So uh, I just think you got to be in much lower P.E. stocks and the higher ones, even though they're down a lot, they never should have been where they when money was free, you can pay anything. And that's what people did. They never should have been there so that they're down 60. Uh, something that's down 60 could also be down another, you know, well, I, I, 40, I, I don't 80. know. Are there are there any good valuations or, yeah, or I, no, listen, they're absolutely good value. The point we we're trying to make last night, maybe awkwardly, is the Fed could stop tomorrow. And these stocks are still expensive. Rates will stay higher for longer because they've told us that. The jobs or the ADP number today made their jobs significantly more difficult. You have other central banks around the world acting in kind. And stocks like Salesforce, for example, that Michael Burry on Twitter today said yesterday's announcement, the stock should have been down 25 percent. It's still not cheap, despite the move we've seen to the downside. You can put Snowflake on there. And when you see a name like Microsoft, which I think I said last night, which I believe is one of the three or four most important companies in the world, have a two-day move that they've seen, having sold off precipitously over the last year, that to me is not indicative of a market bottom. Yeah, and I'll just say this. I mean, CrowdStrike, here's a great example of a stock that's down Ugly nearly 70%, right, from its all-time highs made in 2021. And again, strong secular story, right? Cloud-based, cybersecurity, you know, the whole nines, right? And when you think about this, though, even at this valuation, it's trading seven and a half times sales. It's trading 47 times adjusted earnings. On a gap basis, they're losing a lot of money, right? So when you think about that, until we see, and, and here's the other thing, you could say, okay, well, they're expected 30% growth and sales for the next few years. That's rosy, probably, even with that strong secular story. So we have to get into Q4 earnings. We have to see what companies are guiding for the current quarter and then what they are willing to guide for the balance of the year. And I think that's when you start thinking about valuations. Until these companies, even that are down all of this amount in such a short period of time, until they kind of give us a clearer picture of what the outlook looks like in 2023, I think it's kind of hard because this stock was down 8 9% today. And you, would, you could have easily said that this year over year is trading at a unique value and it's just not. Yeah, off about 61% from its highs. Now, CrowdStrike off another 9% today. I think the, the part of the sell-off was triggered by strong jobs numbers. And we're going to talk about tomorrow's report later in the show. But what we got today, private sector jobs on ADP, you mentioned, better than expected. Wage growth. Initial jobless claims were yeah. at like a four-week low. Challenger layoffs came in better than expected. So what does the Fed do if the labor market is still so tight? They're just going to have to keep going? Well, I think they're going to have to, you know, hire for longer. And, and there's no question that, that there's, first of all, there's a lack of skilled workers out there. I, you know, a lot of people are talking about this dynamic is a very different structural labor market than we've had in a while. And the participation rate is significantly lower. So the Fed's job is difficult. And, and those Fed minutes, which I, I, they always seem like they're, they're yesterday's news because they are yesterday's news. But yesterday, that was part of that move higher in the terminal rate. I think they reinforced there were some elements in there that we may, we may, 
soften up our approach to how aggressive the hikes are. But there's no question we can't let the market, and they even said this, we can't let the market think that we're going soft on 2% inflation. That's still our target. I know that seems absurd to you. Maybe it doesn't. It does to me. So getting it back to the market, I, I just I also look at a bunch of these great discretionary stocks. And I waited for you to get on the desk uh, to short Nike today, which is a, oh, which is a company that I love. I love Nike and I've been long it. But I think you have to you look at that stock that's rallied 50 percent off of a low that I know Dan nibbled at, which was probably overdone to the downside. But but to me, Nike at 29 times, I'm not sure the best and again, don't let's 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 pat Nike on the back. The best consumer discretionary story out there should be, uh, you know, 50 percent off of You're lows. You're short not, Nike. You didn't yeah. just you I, look. I, I'm, I, have, I am long in a couple of accounts. I shorted tactically some Nike today. Well, at why? Because you I, I get the valuation argument. You think be- because their inventory issues are clearing up. And it's they've a, got it's, a lot it's, of exposure in China, which is apparently going to get better here. It, it's it's first of all, I. I think you have to be a trader in this market, and I'm looking at 28 times forward, and I'm looking at a stock that's rallied 50% off the bottom. I, I own Nike. I'm committed to Nike long term. I'm also tactically short it, and I think I can probably pick up 10 or 15% to the downside. I'm not too worried about it beating me to the upside, and that's the point. I'm long Starbucks at 105. It's at a 52-week high, and it's trading essentially at a multiple that's more expensive than it was last year. Do I want to own that right here? Everything we're saying is we need to get through at least some dynamic where EPS uh, gets revised downward. I, I think stocks trading at yesterday's levels don't make sense with rates where they are. We were talking about the growth air names, but there, there's also the, the mega caps like a Microsoft. You mentioned it, ugly behavior. I, Microsoft and Apple. Chris Ferrone, who's a technical strategist, was on with me of Strategus saying, so fine, they've gone from 25% of the S&P 500 market cap to 18. Mm-hmm. That means there's a lot more room to go, he thinks, before you have a complete change in leadership. Is that the way you're looking at it, Dan? Yeah. Or no, go ahead, Dan. How no, you go ahead. Listen, we were all screaming up and down for a while, you know, in 2020 and 2021 early when, you know, that number was getting to 25 percent of the S&P 500 was over 40 some percent of the NASDAQ the five, I should 100. clarify, it's the, yeah, five, the top five. Top but then if you take the six or seven, it literally yeah. gets higher. Right. So I guess the point is it's never been higher. We know that these top 10 are not going to be the top 10 in 20 years. You see those lists all the time. I just actually think that they will be in five years. Some of the biggest names that we have right now, I think Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, I think they will be the top um, names here. So to me, I actually think those are the ones I want to buy when I think things have capitulated to some degree. And I think that they will have... No, I mean, yeah, I've been saying to you, I used to come on your program and you'd have me every once in a while. I'd say Q's and twos, remember? I mean, like, to me, I think that's how you want to be positioned because I to do. To be clear, you're always welcome on my program. I'm just kidding. I love your program. I've never so been on. Good guy. Go ahead, man. Guy, on the other hand. Are you familiar with the Carter Braxton Worth? Good-looking man, blonde CBW. hair, right off the Mayflower. He will say that in order for the market to bottom, you need to take out the generals. And he mentions them by name. Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook. I guess Tesla to a certain extent. And the fact that we're starting to see that now is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it suggests we're later in this game than a lot of people realize, I think. Again, doesn't mean they can't go lower. I, you know, Tim has talked about the potential for Apple to get it to being a teenager here, 115 to 120. It's probably headed. But that's all healthy. You need to re-rate things in this environment. And by the way, 5% unemployment isn't a potential outcome. It's a desired outcome for the Fed, which is somewhat nuanced, but it's important. They, it has to get somewhere around them for them to stop. And we're not even remotely close right now. 
But interestingly, the 10-year yield is 3.7. Beca- it's not 4.2. Going lower. Was. I don't know. I don't know it's going lower. Uh, and again, I, I, you know, Corona. Going lower, but you're talking about higher rates. Going lower because there'll be a steep recession? Or why it's, do you think going? Rates around the world are going higher. Why do our rates have to go lower? Uh, you, I mean, do you think European rates are going lower? Do you, do you think BOJ is going to... If take, you're worried about recession, then rates should go lower. I of think. Of course they should, but, but there's technical issues. These, these are the, this was the, the $16 trillion negative yielding uh, sovereign mm-hmm. bond market that shouldn't be trading where it is. Those yields have to go higher. There's technical factors. Central banks are moving money around the world. They're taking money possibly out of, out of our... It's not going to crash. It's not going to 5%. But I don't think the presumption that rates have to go to 3% just because we're going to have a slower economy next year. I, I know we will. Um, I don't think that necessarily takes 10 years that much longer. But quickly, whether or not Tim's right or I'm right, I don't think it matters because I think either outcome is bearish for equities. Right, yeah. on rates. Yes. Well, and we've kind of seen that because the, because the stock market hasn't gone up that much. So I'm talking 10 years about gone up the highs. So the question we're asking now is, has this drop in high growth valuations opened the door for takeovers in the software space? Let's bring in Rick Sherland, vice chair of technology investment banking at Bank of America. He's known for hitting number one on the institutional investor all-star analyst list for software 17 times in a row. Rick, congrats on that. What do you think? Are we going to see more deals here because these valuations just keep going down? I think uh, we will see a lot more activity on the M&A side in 2023. Um, 2022 was a terrible year for these stocks. We saw the... um, high-growth SaaS universe uh, uh, down about 65 70%, and the multiples um, have come down from about 35 times to six times. So we've seen tremendous uh, compression in valuation. The good news is that downturns are ultimately followed by upturns. So um, we just got a lot of cross-currents near-term, as, uh, as Tim and, 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 and Guy were just discussing. Um, but we have a sector here with tremendous secular tailwinds, the move to the cloud, digital transformation, a new computing stack. Some of the demand may have pulled forward during the, you know, during the pandemic period and when rates were, were zero. I think what we need to do is de-risk 2023 numbers. And so when we go through fourth quarter earnings, um, I think companies will indicate a reduction in force. They'll talk about um, cutting back on go-to-market uh, spending. Uh, I think this is all very encouraging. Uh, we need to de-risk the stocks. People have to um, recognize that um, this is an economically sensitive sector. Uh, the growth rates uh, a year ago were 25% in this sector. Forecast for the next year, now they're at 17%. So I think investors uh, understand that this group is economically sensitive. The growth rates will still be in double digits, but um, the growth rates will come down if we go into a more challenging economic environment. So with that said, I think that um, IPOs are, you know, continue to be more challenging. Last year was um, the worst year in many, many years for IPOs. There just weren't that many. Um, but for the companies that are continuing to show very robust growth, I think there will be um, uh, an inclination to pick up the phone and have that M&A conversation, where in the past there was probably little incentive to do that. Um, and there's an awful lot of dry powder out there. Uh, private equity funds have $3.6 trillion waiting to, uh, to go to work. Activism um, is at a very high level with uh, the valuations down and volatility high. The investment grade 
bond market is is functional, but the leveraged finance market is not yet fully functional. But as we get some stability in rates, that could finance a lot more uh, M&A and and LBOs. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that M&A is likely to be something we see um, a lot less friction, a lot less resistance to as we go into 2023. Rick, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So let me ask you about that dynamic a little bit, because you have prices down, but for the acquirers, their currency is down as well, and the cost of financing is higher. So uh, is it private equity that's going to come in and make the difference, and they're going to do equity-heavy deals? How do you sort of bridge that gap between the financing markets, the currency of their stocks, versus the targets wanting a decent price? Yeah, Karen, it's a good question. I think that um, the answer to that is that right now the private companies, um, you, you know, with the stocks down so much, um, who wants to sell at these distressed prices? And the uh, uh, the buyers don't want to have to pay a, an enormous premium. So to bridge that gap, um, there are a couple of things that will uh, have taken place that I think will reduce the friction there. One is that these companies continue to grow at a very high rate. So you tend to grow into your multiple, well, not so much the multiple, you'll grow into your previous high watermark in dollar valuation that was set in 2021. So if you were valued at $6 billion, why would you want to sell at $2 billion? So, but if you're growing at 50%, which a number of these private companies are, you know, the passage of time alone gets your valuation higher. Um, you know, another factor is, is that they're cutting costs, uh, and that's new to this sector. And so investors feel a little better um, about that. Um, the other factor is if rates were to stabilize or come down, um, we're at six times uh, next year's revenues right now. But if, if rates were to go from 3.7 or 8 on the 10-year to 3, um, three corresponds closer to a 10 multiple than a six multiple. So you could get some multiple expansion if the street became encouraged that maybe we're turning the corner on, on rates, which would, which would help a lot as well. And, and lastly, mm-hmm. is you're going to pay a premium. So if you pay a 40% premium, which is fairly typical in the sector, you're probably getting closer to what those valuation levels used to be. So management will be more inclined to consider selling uh, than they might have over the past year. And I do think that with all that cash on the sidelines, both corporate cash, which have very, very strong balance sheets, and all that uh, private equity money that we're likely to see increased M&A as the environment improves. Rick Sherlin, interesting call. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. America. We've got some breaking news right now on the latest speaker vote. This is number 10, Elon Moy, with the details in Washington. Elon. Well, Sarah, we have reached a new milestone as Kevin McCarthy is on track to lose his 10th bid for Speaker of the House. Now, that would break the record that was set back in 1923. The last time it took more ballots to elect a Speaker of the House was all the way back in 1859, which is more than 160 years ago. Now, one of McCarthy's top allies, Representative Patrick McHenry, has said that he does believe there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but that they still have miles to go. So it seems likely that we would need at least another round of voting at after this one is over. But as of now, the 10th round of voting for Speaker of the House is likely to end with Kevin McCarthy failing his bid once more. Sarah. Unbelievable. 
This is day three. Just unbelievable. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. Coming up on the show, Bed Bath and Bankrupt. Oh. The retailer warning it may go out of business. So is this the first domino to fall for the end of the meme trade? More on that next. And later, talk about a buzzkill. Constellation brand shares falling flat today. What can raise this stock spirits? Well, we got a lot of puns today. So good. And we are just getting started on Fast Money. We'll be right back. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bed Bath & Beyond warning it is running out of cash fast. The retailer saying it's looking at, quote, all strategic alternatives, including restructuring its debt, seeking additional capital and selling assets to avoid bankruptcy, but warned it may not be successful. This is just the latest blow to the once beloved meme stock. Last year, the company worked with activist investor and GameStop chairman Ryan Cohen to make changes. He later dumped his entire position in the stock, sending shares dropping 40 percent back in August. So is this the beginning of the end of the meme trade or the beginning of the bankruptcy of the meme trades, Karen? I think it's the beginning of the bankruptcy of some. I mean, this once you put the bankruptcy word out there, it's highly likely they're going to go bankrupt. Any vendor to them has to be concerned. And one thing we talk about all the time is that the debt is so much smarter than the equity. Right. So we have two two different tranches of debt to look at that just conveys this. The first one is this is the most seniors. Is this the one we got? No, that's the wrong one. The other one, can we get that one, is the most senior debt they have. So when things started to go south, you see it really took that big leg down when things were really in trouble. But for months, it has stayed there and it knows that, right, there's a problem and bankruptcy is on the, so we know that now is bankruptcy is a likely outcome. And yet this paper doesn't move at all. It already priced this in. The stock, meanwhile, has been all over the place. The equity is just playing a different game. They really should learn from the debt. One other piece of debt, though, the timing of the bankruptcy was surprising. Let's look at that debt. Down a lot today, they knew it would be bankrupt because it was trading at, you know, 20 cents on the dollar. They knew, but not quite yet. And so they thought maybe we'll get some more payments. There was an exchange offer. But so 
I don't know if this thing survives. I think it hopefully is an ongoing concern, as a going concern, rather. It's a Chapter 11 where they just are able to restructure in bankruptcy, where they can get rid of bad leases, mm -hmm. they can slim down, they can get rid of their debt. The debt owners will become the equity holders. And they can kill their equity. And they can kill their equity. So even the equity is down to, the equity could be worth an actual zero, right? That's market doesn't Unless reflect the trade it. magically comes back. Unless now, and that could happen. Well, bring back COVID. It could. I mean, you know, yeah, it's not right. because it, 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 the Hertz uh, trade. Yeah. But I mean, I'm looking at the chart, the chart on Bed Bath and Beyond, and it bottomed at 350 on April 3rd. Um, you know, what happened during that entire period where once people, you know, were were at home and the checks from the government started rolling and there was no sports to watch? And I mean, all of these trades followed the same pathway and they followed the pathway of hope, uh, not fundamentals. And, and, and the pathway really, I, I think, of a lot of promotion and momentum that was, you know, was dubious. Um, and I just think, you know, best, Bed Bath & Beyond's business, just like AMC's business in 2019, was imperiled, and we had a revenue stream that was falling 20% yeah. a year. I mean, that's... It's that's, just facing the reckoning now because interest right. rates are rising and we're in a bear market and, you, and there's no meme trade anymore. And there's no meme trade. I think, you know, I have talked about ABC's, the bank of our AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Carvana. You think going down that path? I do. I mean, look at the debt. The debt is telling you. It's telling you. It's not going to survive in this structure. As much as the, you know, the, the machinations of what they've done with that ape and, the, you know, the stock, it's kind of crazy. I mean, uh, it's, I've never seen anything like it, actually. Anything to keep it afloat. Had ape but, Adam Aaron. Yes. He's embraced the He's, embraced He, ape, uh, right. Ape Had something. Guys, yeah, did you buddy. want to say something? Well, I'm just sitting here. Sometimes I'm a participant in the show. Other nights I am a viewer and I've just watched the three of you extraordinarily do a great job Surround explaining the surrounding this trade. You I don't will want to make any bankruptcy calls for 2020. No, I mean I'm not I mean I'm not that smart. I will say this though. I think people are learning the hard way and there were so many people out there that thought as long as they held these stocks and didn't sell them by definition they couldn't go lower. And believe me, I heard that Total. all over Twitter for so now they're learning well, that actually fundamentals do matter. And that somehow they were taking it to the man. Right. I mean, there, there, there was this sense of kamikaze investing. Like, hey, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm teaching somebody a lesson. I mean, it's been a difficult but lesson. The irony the, is that they got taken to the woodshed by the men who are running these of businesses. Course. But no, I mean that sincerely because uh, you know, if you think of Tim, Tim you the used show. the term why, promotion. Why all of these CEOs were very promotional. And I'll just throw another one in here. The mother of all. The man just called me. The, the man meme just stocks me. is Tesla. And that stock is down 73% and still has a $300 billion plus market cap. And I think their CEO is kind of promotional also. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot more to come here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Bad news for beer fans. Shares of Constellation Brands getting blitzed today as higher costs hit the supply chain. So, is it last call on beverage stocks? Plus, deer in the headlights? The pattern one of our traders spotted for this stock that could signal danger ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A buzzkill on Constellation Brands. Shares of the alcohol maker falling nearly 10% after saying supply chain costs and inflation ate into sales growth in its beer division in particular. The company also lowering its earnings outlook for the year. Tim, you flagged the move. Yeah, the beer guide was awful. And at a time when there's been consolidation in the beer space, some of this shouldn't have been a surprise. But some of these companies, and if you look at Staples as overall, some of the spirits companies have some pricing power. Diageo, I would say, can be more defensive in a higher inflation environment, can get their price. Uh, I don't think Constellation has exactly the same business, especially when you get into their beer business. But um, the multiples don't make sense. I've been a longtime shareholder here, and I'm actually excited by this move because I was out of the stock. And and I think there's an opportunity here. But again, they talked about higher corporate costs. They talked about a lower spend. And that's a recipe that I think a lot of other companies are facing, especially as you get into discretionary spend, if you call it that. So uh, not a stock I think you're jumping into tomorrow. A very well-run company. And I think this is ultimately an opportunity. Speaking of Constellation Brands, Jim Cramer speaking to the CEO tonight on his show, Mad Money. You can catch that full interview at the top of the hour, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And from beer to backhoes, mm. <laughs> guy pointing out the action in deer earlier today. Why Must be laughing, all guys? about the backhoes. I just, because you know why I'm laughing, Tim? Because I know yeah, a lot of people transition. don't know that oh. you have a deer. You drive a deer on the weekends. Well, my wife calls it a lawn tractor. I appreciate you well, referring. I mean, you know calling it a tractor. And as you know, Sarah, nothing runs like a deer. I know you're familiar with that phraseology, but what I'll tell you is at the end of November when they reported and the stock traded up to 440, we said there's a huge double top here. If you've been fortunate to be long the stock that we had talked about for months, pull the ripcord. Now look what's happening. I only mention that because an extraordinarily similar setup is happening in its rival Caterpillar. If we pull up that chart, our crack staff in EC doing it right now. But look at the double top that's setting up in Cat as well. So people will point to these names as valuation. They're friendly on valuation. I get it. The problem is if earnings get ratcheted back, which they probably will in this environment, they go from being very cheap to very expensive very quickly. So and you should get yourself a deer tractor for a the tractor weekends. Tractor or backhoe? Pardon me. A, tra- a tractor or a backhoe? I would prefer you get a tractor. Okay. Yeah, I think a tractor is right. it's more her speed. I'm from Ohio. Land of tractors. Yeah. When we come back, Silvergate shares plunging as the crypto nightmare spreads, and an options trader is betting the bad dream is not over yet. We'll tell you the trade straight ahead. But first, new jobs data on deck. Will tomorrow's number crush all hopes for a Fed pivot? We're going to dive into what this report could mean for you and your money next on Fast. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today. NASDAQ, S&P 500, Dow all falling more than 1% for the NASDAQ. Hit the hardest, down 1.5% almost. Walgreens, among the biggest losers today, falling more than 6% on disappointing earnings. The company reporting shrinking demand for COVID tests and vaccines. And that contributed to falling sales. On the flip side, Merck shares at an all-time high. The stock climbing more than a percent after news of a clinical trial collaboration on tumor treatments. Up 1.4%. Meanwhile, we are counting down to the December employment report. Expectations, the economy added 200,000 jobs last month. And that would be a slowdown for November, but still pretty healthy. And things could slow further as layoffs grip the tech sector. Amazon announcing it's cutting more than 18,000 workers, biggest cut ever for Amazon. 
So what will all it mean, all of this mean for the Fed? Let's bring in Joe Lavornia, chief economist at SMBC Nico Securities America. He is on the fast line. Joe, what do you expect tomorrow? A number, Sarah, around 200,000, private something less than that. Uh, the job market is certainly flowing. Uh, one of these months, I don't know if it's tomorrow, we're going to get a weak number, Sarah, because uh, the housing market's already in recession. The index of leading economic indicators is down nearly 5% year on year. That is uh, always uh, associated itself with recession almost immediately. And uh, obviously, anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of layoffs in tech, which is another leading indicator of the economy. So to me, it's just a question of when those jobs turn negative, but it is coming. You, you see tech as a leading indicator of the economy? Because yeah. some people are wondering uh, yeah. why it's not showing up. It, it's a small it's a small percentage well, of the overall workforce. Yeah. Right, yeah, Joe? And we've still got a tight market. It's a, it's a small percentage, but the size really doesn't matter because what matters is, is a predictive of the future. And all companies spend a lot on technology. Uh, that's what they plan in their capital budget in the year ahead. If uh, the companies are laying off workers, then clearly that inflow of order flow is slowing. You saw that yesterday, Sarah, I should say, on a, a Tuesday with the IS component in the indicators. So, yes, even though tech may account for a, a very small share of the workforce, it tells us a lot about where CapEx is going in the broader economy. Hey, Joe, it's Tim. Let's talk about your view on the Fed's resolve. You're, you're of the camp that they are going to cave. And this is a Fed that overstayed the party uh, on the way up. Everything they've said, we just got Fed minutes. I explain why you think they will cave faster than the market and other economists think. Yeah, so they'll cave because, Tim, they always cave. Uh, you could talk about how inflation's high and 40-year and all that stuff. But the reality is that market-based expectations and consumer-based expectations of inflation haven't moved. And when we look at the last uh, few cycles, we find that every time the Fed talks tough, uh, the market sort of believes them for the most part. And then when the Fed pivots, everything happens much more fast in terms of the rate cuts, and the Fed has overdone it. Look, they only got the funds rate barely above 2% back in, uh, back in uh, 18 when the economy was pretty dynamic. Uh, I don't see the dynamism uh, right now uh, compared to then. And the Fed had a reverse and cut by 75 well, the funds rate, that's about half of where we are now. So this notion that somehow we're going to stay uh, up near 5% and keep it there for this year is totally inconsistent with the historical record. And it's easy, Tim, for the Fed to be tough now and talk tough now because unemployment's 3.7. But when it goes up another 30, 40 basis points, history would say you're in recession. It's too late. The Fed will panic and they'll be cutting. Hey, Joe, you, you had that graphic or we were talking about tech, um, you know, and you also said that at some point in the not-so-distant future, we are going to have a really weak print. When you think about what Amazon just announced, 18,000 job cuts, you know this. They added nearly a million jobs in the three-year, in, in 2021 and, and into 2020. That's coming to a theater near you, right? Because that's just a rounding error, that 18,000 number. That's just the start. Well, but, this is, but, but it's a, the issue is what it's a signal of going forward. And uh, we think of everything in terms of flow, in terms of growth rates. So next year or this year, the level of corporate profits will be very high. It'll be close to a record. But the market, the equity market, is assuming it's going to grow. If it's flat or it falls slightly, uh, that's going to enter into investors' consideration. So I don't think, again, the nominal numbers or the absolute size or ratios matter. It's more the direction of change. And housing, again, come back to that. So it's the easiest example. Uh, housing is in free fall. 
Uh, we've had housing in the GDP accounts decline six quarters in a row. Homebuilder sentiment has fallen at the fastest rate in the history of the series. Uh, housing is only 3% of the economy, but does it have a great track record predicting where the economy goes? Yes. And that's why I think the tech, anecdotally, that information is important and it's consistent with those other macro indicators I highlighted. Joe, Joe I'm going to push back just because partly because I like arguing with you, but also, you know, on the on the bearish thesis, you know, inflation is still at 7%. They're not going to back off just because housing is weak and they get a little tick up on the unemployment rate if inflation is still so much higher. You know that the credibility on inflation and why Volcker was remembered for fighting inflation, they have to follow through with that. That, that, well, is, that the, is core to the Federal yeah, Reserve's were, well, independence and credibility, and they've already made a miss. So they don't yes, want to make another miss. And that's why everything we hear from them is that we're not going to cut in 23. We've got more work to do. We don't like the easing of financial conditions. And inflation is too high. They could, well, it is too high, and the Fed is talking tough. But the Fed typically is a backward indicator of consensus expectations. The markets, the slope of the yield curve, five-year, five-year forward swap rates, long-term Michigan inflation expectations. None of those metrics suggest there's any forward or future inflation problem. So my sense is that as inflation, by the way, continues to fall, I should have added that maybe a bit sooner, as inflation falls and falls very quickly relative to what the baseline is and unemployment worsens, the Fed literally will pivot to the unemployment rate and the fact that the unemployment rate is a leading indicator and the Fed will then backtrack and remind us, by the way, inflation's a lagging indicator. So they're talking tough now. The issue, Sarah, is the, does the economy go into recession this year? If it doesn't, then you're correct. If it does, you're going to see the Fed, you're going to see the Fed turn. Joe Lavornia, thank you very much. Uh, always good to have thank you, you on. You. SMBC, Nico. Guy, final word. I love when you argue with Joe. I love Joe Lavornia. What I will say, though, if let's play it out and the Fed does pivot. You know what's going to happen? All the things that were inflationary a year ago are going to get back on their horse again, specifically the commodity market in the form of crude oil and other things. That's the problem. They think they've got it beat. They don't because the commodity market is waiting in the wings. Copper price is six-month highs. So, so, you, so, so, so you don't think that the Fed should blink? <laughs> no. with Joe. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. All right. That's the nicest thing you've said about the Fed yeah, ever. I think. ever. <laughs> Coming up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. No, not the film. Our traders reveal their biggest wins and worst losses of 2022 and how they're changing things up for the new year. Plus, one options trader betting the pain for this FTX-linked crypto bank is only the beginning after its 90% loss. Fast money, back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money with 2023 now in full swing. We thought it would be a good idea to look back at what worked and what didn't last year for the traders and what they learned from their mistakes. Oh, oh. Hugh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. Wow. Help. Just help them. Help. Okay, that was different enough that we won't get hit with a lawsuit. Karen, you were the inspiration for this segment. So oh, why yes. think well, with my up. bad, I could do an entire six to seven p.m. special and still not have gone through everything bad. But for whatever reason, year. they have it in the order of the good. Let's start with the good. I think Twitter. I think I was pretty good on Twitter. I shorted it the day that Elon signed up the deal, thinking he will try to get out of it. That ended up being what happened. I covered earlier than I should have, but that was a good way to be short. And then after he terminated. I thought, let's go long because that merger agreement is so tight, 
he is going to have to buy the company or cut the price or pay them something. And so I went long. So that worked both short and long. That's that was impressive good. because it, he's hard to figure out. Well, that was that was good. The bad. Oh, my God, I could go on forever. <laughs> but let's start with Alphabet. And why that was bad was because. I'm in love with Alphabet, right? So there's the emotion there. But also I had this idea that, okay, they'll come for the tech stocks. And even though this one is has all the good things, a big, great balance sheet, lots of cash flow, blah, 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 that somehow this would be exempt from that. It doesn't matter. If they come for the tech stocks, it's not like, oh, they come for the tech stocks except the ones I own. But that's how I was thinking. What about ugly? So ugly, there's a lot I could go about. But one that you're familiar with, not that it was your fault in any way, my fault entirely, Kohl's. I was so down on this management that team. Was I thought they did a horrific job of trying to, uh, of kind of BSing the shareholders, saying we're looking to do a deal, we're not. I, th- I was so upset with them and not really thinking, all right, they're not going to be able to get a deal done. I shouldn't be anywhere near this. And so they gave me so many chances, and yet I thought, all right, it's cheap. Someone's going to come buy it. That was really bad. That management team, they couldn't get it done. What even about if they, new, wanted you think to, they could sell it now? They, didn't they have a new management team, one that was appointed by the activists. Would you bet on it now? No, I wouldn't bet on it now. I'm, I'm out. I, I just got to walk away from that one. Dan, good, bad, ugly. Um, yeah, so really quickly, um, the good. I mean, I bought a bunch of tech stuff after they blew up on gaps, and I kind of traded them pretty well. It was a good trading market last year. I had a good trade. On the short side in Tesla, on the bad, I had a really bad trade in Tesla on the short. I was a little too early. So you could have a good and a bad yeah, going the same way. Well. And then the ugly, and, and we say this all the time, I had a lot of like bad little trades that to me are really ugly on short-term directional options in indexes usually. And, and again, on short-dated ones, like weeklies. So don't do those people because they end up being pretty ugly. Good, there's a lesson there. Yeah. Tim. Yeah, good was selling Apple in March at 165-ish and, and, and holding out, and I still haven't bought it back. Also, Las Vegas Sands. We've talked about China all year and these these reopenings. Vegas Sands was up even despite all that. And I think those are... 52-week you know, high today. It, it's about how you stay in those trades. The bad was uranium. Not that it's been a terrible trade in, in, in empirical terms or how it's done. It's probably flat. But uh, I, I have so much conviction about uranium. And I still do. And bad is that this trade hasn't worked. And it hasn't worked for five years. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of uranium bulls out there. You know we're out there. And, and I think it was a bad trade, despite it's still a great fundamental idea. The ugly... I knew uh, this was going to be the, ugly. The, the ugly is cannabis. Look, yeah. it, 21 was an ugly year. You didn't think it'd get much worse. It got a lot worse last year. And all I can say is what I say all the time, you make the most money when things go what from terrible to ugly just bad. To just bad. To just bad. And, and I, and it actually, are, you, are you holding on? Well, look, I run a cannabis ETF. I'm in yeah. the space, and, and I believe the fundamentals were overly, um, seemingly reliant on Washington. I don't think you're getting Washington tomorrow, um, but cannabis was ugly. Let's not mince it. Guy, you the, don't have any bad or ugly, right? Well, it's funny because before the show started, Nancy, our floor director, who's been here forever, said, your hair is awful. It's really ugly. So I'm going to use that as my wow, ugly number awful. one. for her to say Isn't that. it mean-spirited? Right before the show. She would never say that. I, I that's not Nancy. I don't think she said that. Oh, I'm just my, maybe I heard her incorrectly. <laughs> The good, so I think we, good? <laughs> we did a decent job, I think, with Big Cap Pharma, Big Cap Energy. A couple times this year, we talked about tradable bottoms in Alibaba. That really worked in July and October. I think we did a really good job in terms of tradable bottoms in the broader market. Again, middle of June and middle of October. The bad, Alcoa, a lot of these resource stocks, were, I was very bullish in the beginning of the year. I looked like a genius. So many of those stocks have been cut in half since then. Citibank, which in the 60s I thought was too cheap on valuation, price to book specifically, disastrous. There are many other things. And the ugly, 
That Dawn trade, which we put out, what do they call those things? The letters? Acronyms, right, which I can't spell that either. Man, there is (laughs) nothing good about the D, the A, the W, or the N. That's as ugly as it gets. So you've been trading Alcoa since the 60s? See, that's an age joke on top of the hair joke. I mean, none of these things make me feel good about myself on a Wednesday night, Dan. All right. I don't think your hair is ugly. You, I don't sir. think Nancy does either. Oh, well. Speaking of, tune in to Fast Money, not Guy's Hair, all next week for the Traders 2023 acronym oh, hits. Wow. A whole oh, segment. That is, that is exciting. <clears throat> Coming up. Think the chart of this FTX-linked crypto bank couldn't look any worse? Well, one options trader disagrees and thinks there is even more pain to come. Fast Money, back in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Silvergate Capital shares crashing after the crypto-focused bank said customers withdrew more than $8 billion in the fourth quarter. The company, which counts collapsed crypto exchange FTX as a customer, saw digital deposits slash to less than $4 billion at the end of the year. The stock now down about 90% from its all-time high, and options traders are betting there's no relief in sight. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Doesn't look pretty, does it, Mike? Nope. Small company, big options volumes, more than six times its average daily options volume today. Puts out trading calls on the busiest puts with a Feb 10 puts. We saw 13.8 thousand of those trading for $1.50. Buyers of those puts are betting a lot more downside, 35% to the downside to be precise by February expiration. Oh, on top of a big slide already. Mike, thank you. Karen, you were active in Silvergate. I was. I actually was buying some January 11 puts, but so buying the puts, But long, I got long the preferred, which also got hit really hard. I think that preferred is going to continue to pay, and I think that the company will survive. So it's it's a capital arbitrage. All right. For more options action, you can be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, your final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Great having you, Sarah. Uh, Let's go Las Vegas Sands, which was the L in my acronym last year, my live trade. Uh, Again, Macau alive and open, but more importantly, EBITDA is cut by two-thirds. It's traded about half of pre-pandemic levels. Las Vegas Sands, more to go. Karen. Yes, so we're talking about the meme stocks and what's going to happen. So another one in that group, AMC. I'm long AMC puts. We'll see what happens with their new share. Try to authorize more shares i don't know but the fundamentals are great so Damn. long put got it yeah so um i don't love this energy trade here and i think crude is probably going to make some new lows pretty soon here and i think that although i know you guys like the relative outperformance of the xle i think it kind of gives up in the next couple months here so i'd be a seller of xle guy the more you know that's an nbc thing if you're thinking about naming your company don't have gate at the end of it i mean it's just throwing that out there you might want to think about that as you move forward is that correct is that fair it is a good yeah. Yeah. great having you sarah thank uh, you look at valero today dan VO. oh sorry Valero. And I want to say congratulations to my best friend who had a baby. Oh, Come on. What's your baby's name? Baby Lily. Named out, no doubt, What's after your guys. No doubt. Yeah. Nice. Baby Lily. Congrats. Thank you guys Thanks, for having Sarah. me. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.